the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. by Jinrat. Follows it up with a clothesline. Oh, and a standing drop kick. Best vertical leap here on SmackDown. Reigns whipped across the ring. Jinrat flying cross body. That was unique. Very, very nice. And face first into the top turnbuckle. Nice chain moves here. Back to back on the top rope is Jinrat. Jinrat flying cross body again into the lateral press. Hook of the leg. Shoulders down. Kick out by Luther Reigns. Jinrat flew across the ring there. Great explosiveness in the legs, the quads of uh, Mark Jindrak. Reigns with a high elbow, exploding out of the corner. And there's the left hand by Jindrak. Shoulders down, and again, Mark Jindrak knocking out Luther Reigns. Here's your winner, Mark Jindrak. I think Jindrak hurt his left hand. I'll tell you what right now. In my opinion, Luther Reigns does not have a glass jaw by any means. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of Wrestling Empire's flagship interview show. I am JP John Paz, and today's episode is brought to you by Acre Gold. Stay tuned later in the show where Chad has a lot of information all about Acre Gold, how you can own your own gold bar. So stay tuned later on in the show to hear from today's sponsor, that is Acre Gold. Now, today's episode is with the one, the only, the very rare Mark Jindrak, a.k.a. Marco Corleone. You may know him from his time in WCW. You may know him as 
Mark Jindrak, of course, or you may know him as his time in Mexico as Marco Corleone, where he made a huge, huge impact and a huge name for himself. CMLL Trios Champion, CMML World Champion, and as you hear in the interview, never really lost either one of those titles. So technically, this man is still a world champion, and uh, that is quite the feat. And he had such a long title reign just even before the injury, over a year as world champion down there in Mexico. Really just a dominant, dominant champion. Not only was he so over as far as wrestling, but we're talking about over on magazine covers, soap operas, TV shows, commercials, game shows, you name it. He was doing it in Mexico, became fluent in Spanish, uh, married a, a very attractive model as well. I hope I can say that and not get in trouble for it, but a very attractive model that he ended up marrying. So, I mean, he, living quite the life, had a, a very handsome young boy. So, I mean, he definitely, definitely got, you know, a huge, huge, huge break in Mexico and, and really showed his charisma and showed what he was all about and really, really made the most of it. And it's funny because I didn't mention that he was a star in the WWF as well. And if you think about his time in the WWF, and we talk about it in the interview, you say, oh, it was a failure. Oh, whatever happened to him? Well, he became a gigantic, huge megastar in Mexico. And just because you may have not made it in WWF doesn't mean you didn't become a gigantic megastar icon in other places like he did, you know, uh, south of the border in Mexico. So he really, really got you know somewhat of, of a screw job a little bit in the WWF and I'm sure a lot of people will know him from the most recent WB documentary that just came out all about the ruthless aggression era and one of the episodes was basically focused on evolution and a lot of people didn't realize Mark Jindrak was almost a member of evolution so Batista might have been out and Mark Jindrak might have went in we talk all about that it's so interesting kind of just to think back to that era and think about where WBF aka WB was at at that point and where they were headed and Triple H was kind of the the guy burying everybody and keeping a lot of guys down and you know he's beating Booker T when Booker T could have got a push he's beating Rob Van Dam he's beating Kane I mean he's just beating everybody and kind of burying everybody at this point and it's like, what are they doing? Like, where are they going with this? And, and, oh, man, how much more Triple H? And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets paired with Ric Flair. And then they put Randy Orton with him and eventually Batista. But we talked to Mark Jindrak about it. It was almost Mark Jindrak. Was it before they put Batista in? When Batista got injured, was it going to be Mark Jindrak after that? Because they do have a lot of vignettes where they have just Triple H, Randy Orton, and Flair. And then they have vignettes with Triple H, Randy Orton, Flair, and Mark Jindrak. So there was definitely talks and definitely thoughts about him entering into Evolution and being a part of that group. So there's definitely no doubt about it. Although Triple H, again, the king of burials, does kind of bury Mark in that documentary. I mean, at the end, he kind of is more complimentary of him and kind of saying what could have been with him and that he was just immature at the time, which Mark definitely does agree with. But it's just one of those things where, man, I think he would have been a good fit for the group. Batista maybe perhaps a better fit for the group and, and in the end was a better fit for the group. But Batista did end up working out well. But I do think that Mark Jindrak could have fit the group. And if you've seen with that suit on with Orton, Flair, and Triple H, you kind of do get the sense that he would have fit in. But as it's said in the documentary that Triple H kind of nixed it and Vince was all for it. So it's one of those things where I guess Triple H 
ended up getting his way and kind of uh, really kind of put the kibosh on it. And when Batista was fully healthy, obviously joined the group. And then that kind of started a little bit of a trend where Triple H would actually put a few guys over and really kind of put over Orton a bit, um, even though uh, years later beating him at WrestleMania was, was just a huge, huge disaster and mistake. But uh, that's a different story for a different day. At least the WrestleMania 21, he did um, – put over Batista, which was uh, which was very good. But, you know, back to Mark Jindrak, back to Marco Corleone, such a, a big star, and I think that it's kind of almost understated a bit. I know I can't really, really hammer it home, but I'm almost understating a bit. He was a gigantic megastar icon in Mexico, and if you get the chance, he's back in the States, back living in the States, living in New York. So if you get the chance, uh, I know he's going to be trying to get back there, out there for some autograph signings and some indie shows. I think you should really, really, if you're a booker or if you own a wrestling organization, go out of your way, book him because he's still in phenomenal shape, can still jump over 11 feet uh, you know, and, and dunk on 11-foot hoop. Maybe not the 12-foot-6 hoop that he used to be able to jump in and dunk on, but still got the hops, got the look, still in great shape, still very young, although we were kind of talking about, you know, he's in his early 40s now, and that may be past his prime. It's really not, especially if you're in the shape that he's in. He's not past his prime. Samoa Joe, John Cena, AJ Styles, these are all guys in their early 40s, uh, Brock Lesnar, and they're main eventers or the top of the company and still doing their thing. So I don't think that age is really kind of an appropriate thing where he wouldn't get signed or wouldn't get a push or something like that. I just really think that he just needs the opportunity and just needs people to realize that he is back in the States and he's back looking possibly to jump back in there with some indie bookings and really kind of get his feet wet and maybe then end up on a national stage, whether it be back in WWE or Impact or ROH or even AEW. You never know where Mark Jindrak, a.k.a. Marco Corleone, will end up. Great, great, tremendous athlete, that is for sure. And as I kind of uh, take it away here, the two-man power trip of Wrestling Empire has got a lot of things coming down the pike, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough is coming to Podcast One, which would be produced by the two-man power trip. We've got Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch, which is with me on the MLW Network, which is kind of, kind of all produced and set up by us, the two-man power trip. Um, you got the Russo brand. you got so much stuff going on over there. you got the Shane Douglas Triple Threat Podcast. And you got some other shows kind of lining up and coming down the pike as well. So as we send it off to the interview, you're, I think you're really, really going to enjoy Mr. Mark Jindra. CMLL World Trios Champion and a 
CMLL World Heavyweight Champion. Of course, he's also a former two-time WCW World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Marco Corleone, but he is Mark Jindrak. Mark, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So I feel like lately you've kind of been uh, in and in and around the news as far as the wrestling news cycle is, and we'll get to that in a second. But kind of, what have you been up to lately? Uh, you know, I, I just I live in um, upstate New York. Um, I work at a restaurant. I'm a general manager of a, um, a restaurant out here, um, and uh, it's a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, coincidental uh, i must say but uh, yeah i'm I'm basically i have a three-year-old son my my wife who i met in mexico um we were married in mexico i had the baby in mexico we came over here a few years ago and we've been over in the united states ever since so i kind of you know kind of live a normal life now but uh you know with all this evolution talk you know i kind of i'm not gonna lie i mean i kind of removed myself from the wrestling because it was just, you know, in Mexico, it's a different kind of beast, you know, the people, the the country, I, I love it and everything, but there's been, there's been problems. There's been issues. The crime has gotten worse and it just, you know, I was a, I was a pretty big public figure there, you know, and I have a, uh, a newborn child. I just kind of wanted to get my feet planted and bring my wife over to America and, you know, kind of, you know, progress the family over here. So, uh, but I'm not gonna lie, you know, I, 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 probably could still go easily you know I'm 42 years old but um I'm still in really good shape and I kind of miss it you know from all this talk about and seeing all this ruthless aggression stuff I'm I miss it you know so I've actually had some offers to do some bookings and stuff and I thought to myself you know damn like um why not you know what I'm saying like I haven't I'm not like literally wrestled in the United States and I don't know how long you know I, I wrestled here in like a lucha libre form like on the border of texas or you know southern california where it's all like you know it's lucha lucha libre um but like some independent shows around the country or you know another big you know corporation um you know i just have never given any thought you know to it till till like now kind of so is it like a semi-retirement you kind of did? Like how come you, you hadn't, haven't been more active? I know you said you kind of took yourself away from it, but any sort of reason or were you kind of contemplating retirement? Uh, you know, I I had some, some problem with my shoulder. Um, like I said, it was more of a – in Mexico, it was more of like a – I don't know. I just wanted to change the pace. I was there for 12 years, and it's just – city living you know you go through all that traffic every every single day and it's just real it's real difficult um get from point a to point b and then you know uh, mix in with the the crime and you know mixed in with i was wrestling a, a great deal you know so it was tough it was just real tough and i, I just kind of like i don't know if you want to call it a full-blown retirement i haven't really talked about it much it's just all people know is i'm not wrestling in cmll anymore you know so yeah, it is interesting. You were such a huge star in Mexico. Maybe it's surprising to a lot of people, but you were just a gigantic star down in Mexico. I mean, Marco Corleone, you were, you know, icon status. I oh, appreciate it. No, it was, it was a good run. I, you know, many people don't know that until, you know, as of recently, like I, I see all these, you know, comments from Evolution now that that story came out. People act as if, like, my career just fell off after um, – you know, like after Evolution, like a few years after WWE, I I just kind of fizzled out and never wrestled again. But 
in all actuality, I, I, you know, like like you said earlier, I went on and had some great championship runs in CMLL. I was there for a long time. Uh, I become I became a, a national celebrity. Forget about the wrestling ring. Like I was a uh, an actor on some big time TV shows. Um, you know, I just can't complain. I was it was a great time. I met my wife. I, I mean, all the things I kind of wish I accomplished in WWE. I kind of made I made it happen in, in Mexico, you know, like it, it was it kind of like, you know, everyone thinks that to get to 10, it has to be five plus five, the WWE way. It, it doesn't always, you know, nowadays in Mexico and Japan and uh, a wrestler from the United States can make a living in, in a lot of other places than WWE, you know, so it's, it's a great time to be a professional wrestler. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I love it. And you do you did mention the ruthless aggression documentary on the WWE Network and kind of what's been said and what's going on and obviously you do make an appearance on there. So how did that all kind of come about? How did they contact you to get on that show? Basically, they they called me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And like I said, I had had no bad blood between um, you know with WWE. I I just uh, honestly I just um, wanted to be a part of it. At the time, was very dear to me in my life. I you know, I remember that 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 ruthless aggression age very well. Uh, you know, so I wanted to be a part of it, and you know, that's how the whole evolution thing got brought up. You know, uh, a lot of those questions. So, um, but yeah, that's just kind of came out of the. It didn't basically, I flew up to Stanford one afternoon and then came back. That's it. <laughs> So the big talk of the evolution thing was you joining evolution with, I mean, big thing of the ruthless aggression documentary and you being on it, somewhat of a surprise to a lot of people. I know I was surprised to get pleasantly surprised, but what was going on was they're thinking about putting you in instead of Batista into evolution. So what were your thoughts of kind of what triple H said in that documentary? Uh, you know, it, triple H is, you know, it's not, it's not like it's a big secret that he's always been coined as a guy that, can help talent, or he can, or you know, bury him. You know what I'm saying? And and it was in this case, I feel like it was a mixture of, you know, immaturity from my part, mixed in with just that's how he is. You know what I'm saying? You give him an opportunity, and you you f it up. You know, he's gonna bury you. You know, that's that's just the way it is. And I had a golden opportunity, and and you know, there's, you know, you only saw bits and pieces of it, but like you know, Orton and I that. Time. I, I think maybe he was 22 and I was like 25 or 26. I mean, my goodness, we were so immature and goofing around and stuff. And, you know, the one thing Triple H said about, like, you know, me and Rick decided it was it, it was more him. I don't think Rick had much to do with it. That was pro- that was a problem because those car rides that were supposed to be so, like, talking access and those, hot tags and all this stuff got turned into, like, me and Orton telling stories about girls and and uh, Rick Flair loving it, and woo, yeah, Marco <laughs> calls Marco Randall, Marco Randall, Marco Randall, woo, and he all fired up, you know, like, and so what? What in the Lincoln Town Car was supposed to be a nice little uh, ride talking about, you know, the the root, grassroots of wrestling, and the, you know, like like a little bit was told in the story, like Orton and I were goofing around, you know, shenanigans, and you know. Instead of Flair kind of going the Triple H way, he went more of the youthful way with us, you know, and kind of 
So it was just a it was a big mess, and like you know, so so what it, you know Triple H said was you know was on, was right on, but I don't think it was all him. It wasn't really, but it was crazy to hear how Vince he said Vince said no, Ginger X a good fit, and and he said and then he said no, he's not. And so it was, it was just crazy to hear the behind the curtain like how it actually went down because I did wonder, you know, I mean I don't trust me, I mean I. It comes comes in my mind every so often. It doesn't I think about it every day or anything. But you know, I, I it's, it, it gave me a lot of closure, honestly. So, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That show, that's what it was. Um, and then Batista, you know, you know, Batista was pulled the tough guy act in in his part, saying that was my spot from the beginning. And I've said this, in the, you know, I've said this before. You know, he. It wasn't so much his spot. Like the problem was, is maybe it was originally his spot. I'm not sure, but like, you got a young guy like that, and he tears a muscle, and then like comes back, and then a, a month later and tears it again. Like at, that, at some point in time, as a company, you got to think this guy's like a like a lemon. You know what I'm saying? A dud. And and they went with me, and and it wasn't his spot. And if I didn't I didn't f it up with some of my immaturity, as well as ready for that spot, he wouldn't have probably been in that group. You know, maybe later he would have been a group. I'm not sure, but like, so I mean, what Randy Orton said was right on. Pretty much Triple H said was right on. It was, you know, um, you know, I thought Batista was a little, a little too much in the character. You know, uh, he could have very well lost that spot if I didn't f it up for myself. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, pretty much it on that that topic. <laughs> But they actually did film, right? They did film those vignettes. I know they showed it kind of briefly in a documentary, but they did film you in vignettes and kind of walking up and down the streets and coming out of the helicopter, things like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of them, that was the whole thing. Um, I kind of saw it because it was, it, was so, it was right there. I could taste it, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then, but I kind of saw the things, the writing on the wall, you know, that, that, um, the writing on the wall was like uh, they were hyping the group up, and, and that fourth member there, you know, guessing. You know, I remember them, them doing polls on uh, uh, like Raw, like who's gonna be the fourth member, and you know, it was like a between like they, the poll would be like Cast or Kevin Nash or Trish, Chris Jericho. So they were they built it up so big. So between that, me yapping it up, and you know them them hyping it up and me effing up the situation. It just it would just imploded. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I don't. You know I mean it was a big mess in my career, obviously. But you know there's there's a lot of things that can go good and bad, and you know and like all of the good things that happened in my career after that, like you know those things could have went the wrong way as well. You know, but they didn't. You know, so I never played what if. You know, because I had a successful career afterwards, but. It was a fun story for everybody to hear, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I just think it's funny how he's like, oh, it wasn't a fit. But you look like you would be a good fit with that group, right? I mean, am I crazy in that? You seem like you would have been a great fit for Evolution had it all worked out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, it it, it just – it, it was all, I was ready, like, mentally I was, you know, prepared, but, like, it just, you know, I, I didn't have anybody, Orton was in his blood, although he was kind of messing it up, too, he was a, you know, a third-generation wrestler, and, 
he just um it was his it was his spot you know like but but i i just didn't have i just didn't take it serious enough you know i thought because i was such a, a raw athlete that um you know i i, I could you know, screw off and, and still get by, you know what I'm saying? And that wasn't the case. You know, they they let me go. But honestly, as as athletic as I was, what I had to offer, you know, later you look at my stuff from, from Mexico and I just completely changed the game, you know what I'm saying, for big men flying around. I just, you know, I wrestled so successfully in Mexico. Um, I learned how to get over. I just wish I would have done it sometimes in WWE, you know, honestly. Yeah. And it's crazy to think, like you like you said before, you're right. They think like, okay, your evolution didn't work out, or you know, you were in WWE, it didn't exactly work out. But they think like that was the end of it. No, you were a huge, huge star in Mexico. How did like how did you end up like how did you end up getting down there to begin with? Um. Well, Mexico after uh, after WWE release, I, you know, I. Figured I'd try to explore other things, and I was kind of doing some New Japan. I did some other company there called Hustle. Yep. And uh, then I was doing the CMLL, kind of going a few weeks here, a few weeks there in Tokyo, a few weeks at home in Atlanta. Then you know, it was just it was I had to make a decision because the the tours were few and far between, and you know you you learn to live a, a certain lifestyle when you're making WWE, WWE money, and all of a sudden that that those fat paychecks stop coming in. You gotta switch it up, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's tough, um, but um, you know. But basically, you know, it, it was at the end of the day. I mean, I, I picked Mexico. You know, Mexico was the uh, um, the easier choice. You know, Tokyo is is, is flip flop. It's hard to have a life on you know these parts when you're over in Japan. It's just you know. It's, Basically, when it's day here, it's night there, and it's night there, it's day here. So, um, you know, Mexico became – and then I, I kind of saw a way of getting over, too. Like, you know, the Latino, Latino women are, you know, they're really, really spicy and stuff. I'm married to one, I can tell you, it's true, you know. But, uh, you know, so, so it, honestly, it was like – it was like uh, I saw a great potential for myself, you know. I mean – I thought, man, I can get over here. I can, you know, and they were starting to take me. I, I started off as a, a heel, but I, you know, a rooter, they call them. Um, and basically I switched over to technical in no time, you know, like, or, or baby face, because the girls just like, you know, and that was a great, that was a fun, Lucha Libre at that time in Mexico was super hot, you know, so I was becoming a star as a, one of the hottest, highest moments of Lucha in, in quite a long time. And, uh, it was fun, you know what I'm saying? It was, I got the feel, I felt, fa- I was famous. I felt famous, you know, like I felt what it felt, felt like to be famous, to be over, to walk around. And, you know, I'd always travel with Randy and Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, you know, when I when I was in WWE. But, man, it, it was tough because people would always, those are big stars, you know. So I got always got shunned to the side because, you know, I wasn't a, that top-tier star. But then I went to Mexico, like, my God, like it, was, it just changed. I, I was a big time star and just everything was hitting, man. It was, it was a great, like basically 10 years of my life. You know, I was, I had some injuries between there, but like for the most part, the wrestling was just. Awesome. Yeah. And you, man, like you were basically kind of put to the top of the card relatively quickly. I mean, a trio title, which is pretty big there and maybe not so big 
in certain promotions in the United States, but the trio title is big, and you know, you're fighting some pretty big names, Negro Casas, Ray Bucanero, uh, Verno. Uh, when the New Japan sends guys there, you're fighting Tanahashi. Um, then, you know, Volador Jr., Shocker, La Sombra. I mean, you're facing all, all the big names, all the huge names. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, uh, basically, when I got there, it was basically uh, Dos Cadas Jr., who was Alberto Del Rio, him and I, we probably wrestled each other like every single night, you know, all over Mexico. And, uh, you know, it made him, it made him look real good because I came in as a, you know, a foreign Rudo, foreign heel. And, uh, you know, for once he had some guys, you know, he could, he could wrestle some, some bigger guys like myself and Johnny Stamboli, who was there for a second. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the, I think the biggest um, thing that happened in Mexico for me which which helped me blow up was um there was a character called Mystico um and he at that time he was super hot like every Friday night in Arena Mexico we draw like fifteen thousand people and honestly it was because of this guy I mean he was um uh, like super over his name was Mystico he was he was with uh he was Caristico and if you remember he was Caristico I think mm-hmm. and, yes in uh, WWE for a second how he did that little springboard entrance. Yep. He messed up 40% of the time. Yeah, uh, yep. Uh, but he was so so popular. when I So, so I came on, when I flipped over to the uh, the good side, the technical side, I immediately, like, okay, you see Mystico, and people were there to see him, but like, oh, wait a minute, who's the who's the six-foot-six guy? You know, and I was, probably my body was super ripped at that time. I was 250 pounds, chiseled, and... You know, usually I had handcuffs on me in WWE to do, like, super, you know, you saw that ruthless aggression thing. Like, you know, I, I used to jump really high. So my drop kicks were were ridiculous, you know. So things like that, things like leapfrogs, they had that ramp in the Mexico. I'd run down the ramp and do that super fly, like, kind of, they called it the Air Corleone. Um, it was like, it was it was built for my, my Arena Mexico and CMLO at that time was like a perfect fit for what kind of wrestler I was. You know what I'm saying? I like to I like to add a little show and theatrics into things. Um, I sell fairly well for a big man. Um, in this case, my firepower and my moves, you know, like as a as a babyface, were really over there. You know that, like I said, these I used to fly out of the ring. You know what what Undertaker does every blue moon? You know he jumps on the he jumps out of the ring onto like 40 people. Yes. I, I I used to do that on every single night, every night on one person. I'd fly out on one person, not not forty, not the whole locker room. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah. So I mean, so mixed in with being put with a guy who's super over, you know, I brought it there. It was it just it, and like Lucha Libre there was like if you're a star of Lucha Libre, like you're also a TV star because. It, they're beloved there. The, the the wrestlers there, the luchadors are, you know, always a bit of part of entertainment. You know, like Santo and Blue Demon, they were big time movie characters. Uh, you know, back in the day, and so uh, so people to this day hold luchadors are like you know big time stars, like mainstream mainstream stars. Whereas in the United States, you just have like a, the Rock, John Cena, and a few others. You know that slip in the mainstream, but for the most part, you know the you know wrestling is not. I don't know. It's not so mainstream, you know, like like it is in in Mexico. So that's another thing I got to be a part of. Like, you know, I, 
not only was I a star in the ring, like I was a big star out of the ring. I, I performed like, um, you know, in these acting situations with like super high, high rated, super high rated like TV shows. Number one for like six months, you know, like where I like starred as like the major villain or the major bad guy, you know. And um, it just, I got over, you know, just everything was, everything was in the, in life, I, I truly believe, you know, in my in more wisdom after 42 years of age, I, I just, you find the things that are meant to be just, it feels like the water is swimming with it, you know what I'm saying? And the things that aren't, you know, they just, it feels like you're swimming as water. It just it doesn't happen easily, you know. In WWE, although I was super athletic, I had all the youth on my side, you know, like, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't put it into getting over in WWE for some reason. Like, I don't know how to be Mark Jindrak. You know, Mark Jindrak's a guy who plays with baseball cards and, and plays video games and hangs out with my son or my wife, you know, like, I do corny stuff. Like, but when I became Marco Corleone and it, it, I became, you know, I, I had monikers. I was the Italian Eagle, you know, I flew and I had, you know, phrases and I had, you know, promos that I went to. It was, it was just everything I saw, the guys like John Cena, like, the how you brand a, a star in WWE. I wasn't able to do it. I just wasn't able to do it as Mark Jindrak. But I took all that knowledge and I branded myself, like, on my own accord in, as Marco Corleone. You know what I'm saying? They gave me the name, Marco Corleone, and I, I grew it. You know, I, I, made, I shed light to it, you know. So um, that's basically what's, what happened. And, and um, I just, it's, it's, it's a country that's, you know, dear to my heart. It's just I kind of grew up it is kind of shocking that you're like fluent in Spanish. I mean, just looking at you like that, this guy wouldn't be fluent in Spanish or you could tell great athlete, obviously awesome vertical leap. And you just tell like, okay, this guy's an awesome, awesome athlete, but who knew like fluent in Spanish, Spanish going to be a huge star in Mexico. He shows game shows, soap operas, covers the magazines, movies. You know what I mean? It's like shocking for me as a fan seeing you from like WCW and then all of a sudden, Oh my God, this guy was like a God in Mexico. Jeez. I just, you know, and, and I even wrote a book there. I was an author there. I wrote a, a children's book there. I mean, every, I did all the right things, you know, and, and handled it. Like like I said, in Mexico, it's just like, it's not the same, like, setup as in WWE. They don't have merchandising and things of that sort. Um, they don't really, they didn't really have, like, um, departments, you know, that sent people on, like, um, PR and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, I did all, all this stuff myself. I, I just, even without this language, my first, like, six months there, I got myself on super huge shows, like, talk shows, and whatever, I just, I don't know what it was. It was like, in WWE, maybe I was a little timid or something, like I said, or the whole being Mark Jindrak thing was kind of weird to me, you know? Like, I, I wish I kind of had a character, you know what I'm saying? Um, even anything stupid, you know? Like, it, actually, that's why I... I
I didn't care, you know, like it was a character for the first time. And, and I think that's why I exploded in Mexico again. Marco Corleone was something different. I, I went on, I went to business for myself, basically got myself on the TV shows, got myself on all the, the game shows, dated some, dated a, uh, a lot of famous girls, which got me in the little rumor magazines, you know, like those star magazines where so-and-so is dating so-and-so. And I, I started becoming like that heartthrob, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so it, it just, it was, a, it was all across the board. It was a wonderful time in wrestling in my love life, um, you know, and I was, a, I was a big star, and I was doing it in a different language, that was the crazy shit, you know what I'm saying, like, I was doing it in a different language, it was just, it's, you know, it was, it was crazy, it was just crazy, it was a complete evolution, no pun intended. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, and it was just surprisingly, man, like, you took to Mexico so good and so quickly, but a lot of veteran wrestlers say it takes a while to find yourself. And it's interesting. You found yourself, you know, just in in another country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically that's it. That's in a nutshell. That's it. I found myself in another country. And maybe it was one of these things too. Where like, I saw how much politics was in in WWE. You know, behind the scenes, especially now after I saw that thing. But you kind of already, you kind of knew that maybe if someone wasn't favorable about you behind your back in WWE, then there's a good chance you get released, you know what I'm saying? So, like, when I went to Mexico, I didn't, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know. I had enough hard time trying to figure out how to set up a match, you know what I'm saying? Because it was, like, ridiculous. The language barrier was ridiculous at first, you know? And actually, Alberto Del Rio, who speaks English, was a great, great help, you know? So he helped me with language, and I helped him, essentially, by putting him over all the time, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, it was, um, Basically, it, it just, it just, um, I don't know. It just, uh, I think, I think in time, I just, I, I wish I would have done it in WWE. I just thought, I just, it was hard to, while I was going on in Mexico, I couldn't, I couldn't, when I was getting over in Mexico, I couldn't step away from it. You know what I'm saying? I could never step away and see, well, maybe I can go back to WWE. I just couldn't step away. It was, it was, it was hard. So by the time I was able to step away with it, it was like 40, I was 40 years old. So here I am, like by age 42. And when I went to that interview to talk about, like, uh, you know, talk about the whole ruthless aggression interview and stuff, I did have feelings sometimes like, damn, what if, you know, like, why didn't I ever give this, you know, why didn't I give this place a, a try, you know, like, there's never ever intended on coming back, you know, and, and, I, and there was times when I could have came back over the years to WWE, I always kept in contact with Orton and Rey Mysterio, and I, like I said, I think they were just waiting for me to mature a little bit, you know, but like, I matured, and I, I blew up in Mexico, so I just, just never made it back to the States, you know. Now let's pause one minute to tell you all about Acre Gold. Introducing Acre, the new subscription platform for gold. Acre lets you make small monthly payments and then sends gold straight to your doorstep every few months. Well, what are the benefits of using Acre Gold? Well, it's affordable to start. You don't have to pay out of your pocket all at once. It's convenient. You just set up the subscription and forget it. The actual physical gold bars are mailed right to your doorstep and Acre branded gold is of the highest quality designed in California and minted in Switzerland. It's safe and simple with a gorgeous packaging. And of course, when dealing with Acre Gold, 
you get excellent customer service. So you're asking yourself, how does Acre work? Don't break the bank. Start buying gold for just $50 per month. And there's now even a $30 per month option. But watch your gold grow. Acre will keep you updated on your gold stash as you make progress. The gold is shipped to your door. Once your Acre gold stash reaches the price of a 2.5 gram Acre gold bar, they will discreetly ship you your gold. And the best part is you're in control. You can easily cancel or modify your plan to suit your needs at any time. So head on over to getacregold.com slash two man today and start using Acre Gold right now. Getacregold.com slash two man and start using Acre Gold right now. And now you can win a free gold bar by tweeting at get underscore acre and at two man power trip and at Chad EMB telling us why you should be our winner. Acre Gold is the smartest decision you'll ever make, and we welcome them here to the two-man power trip of wrestling empire family. And you didn't really need to. And what a, a good thing out of it is, you know, you met your wife and you had your son. So it's one of those things that wouldn't have happened, obviously, if you had stayed around WWE. Yeah. No, no, I don't, obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm completely content where I'm at right now. It's interesting, too, because if you just think about this, AJ Styles, 42, John Cena, 41, uh, Samoa Joe, 40. A lot of the big names and the big stars in WWE right now are all around your age, and they're all in good shape just like you. So it's not one of those things, right, where it's like out of the realm of possibility. You may get a call. You know what I mean? There's, you're interested. They may show some interest. Well, I mean, maybe, I mean, and maybe not that. Maybe maybe another company. You know, like that. Like I said earlier, like there's a lot of companies that, you know, like ROH or like I don't know. I think the TNA uh, Impact Wrestling or whatever that's is that still around? Yeah, barely hanging uh, on, yeah. but they're still around. Yep. You know, AEW. You know, like it's this new company. Like I don't know. You know, it just I'm open to whatever. But for the for the most part, like um. You know, in Mexico and, and CMLL, like, I was a trios champion. And the fun fact here, like, as a trios champion, I think we were, like, undefeated with Rush and Maximo. We were undefeated. We, we defended it, like, 10 or 11 times and never lost. We ended up having to give the belts up because I got into a um, – one night returning from a show, my driver uh, fell asleep at the wheel, and I hurt myself. So I was out for, like, six months. So they basically took the belts off us and had a tournament for, you know, but I never lost them, you know. So I was, like, basically 10-0. and 0. And then uh, eventually I became the heavyweight champion in CMLL, which I was only the only American ever to win that belt. Um, and the only four, the, the, the last foreigner to hold that title was uh, Val Venus's Blade in, like, 1998, like 20 years earlier or something, you know. Um so I was heavyweight champion. I defended it seven times. Um, and then until eventually the, that shoulder injury kind of, like, put me on the rack and just, I like, came back to the United States. So they they basically took that. They vacated the belt again. So basically in two championship runs, I was, I'm was i like a 16 or 17-0 and 0 in CMLL. So, so perfect. Goldberg. Goldberg. <laughs> that is an awesome uh, little uh, trivia fact there. You know, uh, undefeated champion twice, twice over in uh, CMLL. That's great. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, you mentioned 
Goldberg, and I'm just thinking WCW because I, I know Mike Sanders pretty well. I know an old buddy of yours, an old natural-born thriller buddy of yours. I just want, I yeah. always want to kind of ask you, because I finally got to ask him about it, what is kind of your thoughts of the natural-born thrillers? I always thought that it got cut short a little too soon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like a catch-22 with us, you know, like um, we were the last the last days of, of um, WCW, basically, and uh, we were almost like they built up so much, they built up so much um, uh, stars in WWE and had the, such a young crop of stars and fresh faces and at that time during the end of WCW days that they almost had to do something, so that's what they brought all those guys from the power plant there, the Mike Sanders, the Sean O'Hares, me, Palumbo, Johnny the Bull, Reno, um, who else? The Piper Stasiak. So basically, they they you know threw us on TV. We we're green, yes, but it's kind of a hail mary, you know. Like put some we were there, kind of the answer to the WWF's side, you know, the Kurt Angles and the you know um, Scotty Two Hotties and you know those upcoming stars there, you know. So. Um, you know, we were kind of like a Hail Mary. Putting us on TV was like a Hail Mary, you know, toss. And then eventually we shut down, and um, and obviously the the group kind of got dismembered. And, and of course, at the at the um, towards the end of WCW, the group broke up anyways. Like Stasiak and I went a program with um, you know, with uh, O'Hare and Palumbo, and it was just kind of stupid. It was like I said, to throw up Hail Marys, seeing if any could work, you know. Um, I always loved the chemistry with you and Sean O'Hare. I thought that was a great team. I didn't think you guys should have been split up as a team. Right? You guys kind of worked better as a team? Absolutely. Absolutely. We we had that double, which I feel like doesn't get enough credit. We had that double hip toss, double beal from the floor over the the top rope. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, we even got it so far that, like, one time, I think we uh, we had Sanders standing in the ring, and O'Hare and I um, threw Jamie Noble up into the ring. Sanders caught him into a power slam, and um, you know I, I, that that move was ridiculous. Um, it was like a it was like a we both had so many tag team moves that were athletic, you know. And he was, in my opinion, one of the most athletic big guys that probably wrestling's ever seen. He was ridiculous, and. Um, you know, then then Sanders on the mic. Palumbo was super solid. Um, Stasiak was weird, but you know he was he was talented and had that you know um, had that that background in wrestling with his you know family and father. Um, you know, so we had all the ingredients. Um, John Bull and Reno they had big you know good characters. They they were decent workers. Um, so I don't know, you know, and I, and I think Sanders on the mic, you know, I think we never saw quite the potential. We never saw like a WWE Mike Sanders run, you know what I'm saying, like on the mic. And I would like to see that. I think a lot of things would have would have been, you know, come out of that, to be honest with you. I would have loved it. So underrated on the mic. So good on the mic. Such a great talker. Him mixed in with you and O'Hare. I mean, the other guys obviously are great, too. I love the thrillers. But him mixed in with you two, specifically the two most potential guys, best athletes with his voice. I mean, you can't go wrong with, like, that that pairing or that trio right there. 
Uh, yeah, it was it was a I loved him on the mic. Him on the mic was unbelievable. Now, as we start to hit the wind down, head towards the finish, do you have some favorite matches that kind of stick out above others? Not only like WCW, but even Mexico and WWE. Do you have some favorite matches? Um. Okay, WWE. I. I uh, um. I. I, I beat Eddie Guerrero one time. Uh, the match could have been better, but I, you know, that was that was an awesome match. Um Lau was the majority of them, you know, hair versus hair matches, the, the those big time matches in front of you know fifteen thousand people in Arena Mexico. Uh, when I won the when I won the heavyweight belt, that was pretty crazy. Um, just uh, you know, but I'd have to say that the championship matches and. Uh, and, and in WCW, O'Hare and I won the tag team championship belts. So uh, that was, I think that was Nassau Coliseum. So that was, that was fun as well. But yeah, I mean, I take everything as like a whole. I don't have like a lot of like this particular thing. I just remember it all as one, you know, and I kind of filter out all the politics and I filter out the near misses like the evolution. And I just kind of just positively think about how, you know, wrestling, what good things happened for me in my career, you know? So, matches, I had a few few good ones, but, you know, for the most part, I just think of my career as a whole. You were in there with some awesome guys. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Mr. Aguila. You mentioned teaming with Roosh, who's obviously a big star now in, in Ring of Honor today. Uh, Negro Casas, Alberto Del Rio, La Sombra, Shocker, Terrible, Peroth. I mean, some pretty awesome names. Uh, not only the Mexican stars, but there's some Japanese guys mixed in there as well. Undertaker, obviously, we can't leave him out. But you were in there with some pretty, pretty big time uh, heavy hitters. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I can't. Uh, I'm not gonna ever complain. I, 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 you know, we're in the, the Survivor Series. Um, Angle's team was against John Cena's team. Um, you know, uh, performed at WrestleMania 20. Um, you know, I. I can't complain. I had a, I did a lot of wonderful things in, in my career, and uh, it just, as of late, with that ruthless aggression and the evolution story coming out, it gained some traction. It's been nice to relive those and just kind of take a trip down memory lane, you know. Yeah. So, any any sort of uh, traction to this re- not rematch, but this dream match, so to speak, you versus Triple H, or is that all kind of just tongue in cheek or still joking around? <laughs> I mean. I, I say this, like, I mean, honestly, if if, if I were, he were to say right now, yeah, I would, I would wrestle uh, Mark Jindrak at WrestleMania, I could, I could, I could be ring ready by then, no doubt. Um, I mean, like, just people took a lot of interest in it, you know. So, like, I, for the, like the obviously, there's a new breed of fan that 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 happened. The evolution thing happened in 2003, you know. Like, this is yep. like 17 years later. But for the classic WWE fan, because it's you know it's so much trajectory, you know, like it's like a like a Gunsmoke or a or an old sitcom. You're going back and reliving like an old moment, you know, and it's coming back like almost like a ghost, you know. So like it's it, it's a fun. It would from wrestling standpoint, it's it got some like great like real like story to it. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, big time. But but I mean like you know and I. I made a tweet or something. It was crazy because um, that WWE, they put that clip of, you know, basically um, 
WWE put the clip of uh, Hunter bearing me, you know, basically saying, I didn't think he was a good fit. And Vince said, he's a good fit. And I said, no, he's not. And basically, I, little, I retweeted it, and I wrote, like, you know, like, okay, I, you know, I, I understand now I have closure after 17 years, uh, but it doesn't stop me from challenging Triple H in Tampa at WrestleMania 36, you know. I just was joke, kind of joking around playfully, but then, like, boom, like, like, it was crazy. I got, like, 6,500 likes and, like, 900, like, retweets. Like, to be honest with you, I don't have a lot. I don't, I have a modest, like, 27,000 followers on Twitter. Like, you know, wrestling people, wrestling wrestlers here, you know, have hundreds of thousands. And I have a modest, like, 25, 26,000. And, like, my tweet got so much, so much traction, so much retweets and likes. And, like, and for the first time, too, like, like I was always, you know, when you talk about dirt sheets or, like, the, the internet and stuff, I just, in, in Mexico, I couldn't do anything wrong. In America, I was always fighting against, like, for some reason, I didn't, I couldn't get over in America, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I was, what took me is like a vanilla baby face and, or, you know, and it, like a boring, some kind of boring dude. And, and uh, it was, to be honest with you, it was just, it was just uh, getting the right character. And, and um, you know, so I've grown, I've grown. I know how to get over now, you know? So all those things, you know, said, like, it, it, there's some, there's some TV there, you know, there's some, and honestly, like, I can still go, you know, I'm, I, I'm 42 years old, but, you know, I'm, I'm in really good shape. I still have like a 10 pack, like, uh, like chiseled. <laughs> do you see yourself, maybe you said maybe another company, but do you see yourself back in the ring relatively soon? Or do you think like, ah, we'll see what happens or definitely, definitely you see yourself back in the ring. I definitely see myself, I think I want to start taking some indie bookings, you know, like some link up with some old, old, you know, old wrestlers I worked with in the, in the past in WWE, you know, uh, and see, and, and maybe try to get on some shows, you know what I'm saying? Get their advice and get, get on some shows and, uh, you know, I'd like to do that maybe. Maybe I get booked two or three times uh, in the States, you know, here in the United States, uh, you know, I always there's always Lucha Libre bookings as well, and like I said, in Texas and stuff. And you know, Marco Corleone still is a huge name, as in, in Mexico, you know, or in Lucha in Lucha Libre. So, um, I think I you know I can definitely get booked. There's been a ton of people that hit me up after the whole ruthless aggression and all these like talks of me possibly like getting ready for a match, a dream match with Triple H and stuff. Like people have been you know kind of like hitting me up for different conventions and autograph signings, but also throwing a little bone out there saying, hey, you know, would you want to wrestle as well? You know, would you be open to that? And I think to myself, like, you know, I see some of these old, old, these other guys that were around my age, they wrestle, and, you know, their bodies seem better days. They're, my athleticism at, at 50%, 40% is still, still topples a normal man. So, you know, I can still hang easy, no problem. Maybe, yeah, I can't, maybe, I can't, maybe I can't touch twelve foot two anymore. Maybe I can only touch eleven foot six. <laughs> <laughs> Still, though, uh, an amazing athlete, and that's great that there's definitely interest in you and and possibly you coming back. But 
as far as that evolution thing, and I'm just kind of curious on it because if you watch that Ruthless Regression documentary, they basically rewrite history like a hundred times on it. I mean, so many things are wrong. They were talking about John Cena in WrestleMania 23. Well, if, you, if you're if you a fan, if you pay attention back then, it was the original main event of WrestleMania 23 was Batista Undertaker. It wasn't even Cena. So they like made up that story saying that they were going with Cena all along. Then they said that they were WWE because Vince decided to change the name. It didn't mention the World Wildlife Fund suing them. So as far as evolution, were you originally supposed to be the first guy or was Batista supposed to be the first guy? You know, that that's, that, that raised some questions, and that, that was kind of foggy to me. Like, to be honest, like, I kind of see how they they kind of put it. Like, I think Batista was, at first, like, he kind of was getting mentored by certain guys. You know, he was always going, he was doing all the right stuff, you know, going to the Triple H's, going to the veterans, the Arn Anderson's, and picking their brains. And that's what they wanted, you know what I'm saying? They don't want fucking, you know, me and Orton, you know, goofing off and you know, making animal noises and, goof, you know, just they don't want that kind of stuff, you know. So, it, you know, I think maybe the original plan was for Batista. But, like, again, I said, you know, he he kept tearing his muscles, you know. So um, that's I think that's got me my chance. It got me on the dance floor, and I messed it up. It was mine to mess up, you know. So, you know, so... Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it, man. That's all all I got in this. <laughs> so one final question for me. I'm just kind of curious what you, what you think. What do you think is kind of like your legacy as far as wrestling? Just just I know you're not retired and and, and you're still going to be booking and hopefully we see you on some TV again. But what do you think your legacy is? Because you came in. WCW is like, oh, my God, look at these guys. Look at the potential. Look at the athleticism. WWE, you know, we talked about what happened there. But then, boom, became a gigantic star in Mexico and still technically CMLL world champion. So, what, like, what's kind of the, the legacy? What do you think people think of when they think of Marco Corleone, the superstar, not only WWE superstar, I really mean, like, that megastar from Mexico? Um, what do I think? That, what do I think, like, my legacy will be from there? Yes. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, 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 here in the States, like, in, in terms of Mexico, I mean, I have a strong legacy in Mexico. Like, uh, like there's malls with my, my, you know, my handprints and stuff. Like, there's a plaza of the stars, they call it there, Galleria de, de las Estrellas. Um, I have my, my hands mounted in that, you know, in, in their floors there uh, as a star, like, right next to, like, Pedro Guayo and uh, Santo, you know, stuff like that. Like, so in terms of Mexico, I'm, you know, still to this day, we'll watch Univision or Telemundo or something, and always a, a rerun of a, a soap opera or something pops up that I did in Mexico, super high-rated, you know, show or whatever. Um, so that's kind of my, my legacy on both sides of the fence. Um, but I, I just, you know, it's a lot of things. Like, I, I think I can honestly say, like, you always have to be careful with this, but, you know, from careful consideration, I, I, I think my legacy, if I wanted to start a legacy, I think I had the, by far the best dropkick in the history of wrestling. By far, by far. And and nobody, and that's easy, that's hard to, I mean, that's easy to dispute because if you haven't seen my, my Mexico City stuff, like the stuff I did in Mexico, like I, I raised the bar so high with my dropkicks there. I had people hold, you know, we, it was three on three matches, so 
I'd have people hold them up by their knees, and I'd literally drop kick people like eight and a half feet near, nine feet near. Um, but like, you know, so there's a lot of. I mean, I think just my the legacy here here in the states. You know, it's just it's that whole like I'm a I'm a I'm a gringo, but like I'm I speak Spanish. I I everything's like a double. You know, like I, I kind of did it all. You know, like that's my that's my legacy. I, I I'm south of the border, and now I have my family north of the border, and and now we're just kind of writing the chapter and starting a family here in the states. You know, so I guess that's my legacy. But the legacy stems from from Mexico. You know, and, and lucha libre. But you had one hell of a career, but it ain't over yet. So please give everybody kind of your social media plugs or maybe where they can find you or even if they want to reach out to you, maybe a booking here or there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always open for bookings now. Um, my email is um, Marco, M-A-R-C-O, 2-3, and then the word Vuelo. That's V as in Victor, U-E-L-O, at Yahoo.com. Again, it's Marco, M-A-R-C-O, 2-3, V-U-E-L-O, at Yahoo.com. Um, my Twitter is, uh, what is my Twitter? Uh, I think it's Marco Corleone 23. Uh, my, my Instagram is, uh, Jindrak, at Jindrak1. Um, and Facebook is just Mark, Mark R. Jindrak. Um, but yeah, I'm mainly on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah, hit me up. <laughs> All right. Awesome stuff. Of course, I implore anybody out there to please book Mark Jindrak. And if you're a fan, just seek out some stuff from Mexico, definitely on YouTube. Check out his athleticism. Also check out very young Mark Jindrak teaming up with Sean O'Hare. Awesome tag team, Natural Born Thrillers. And uh, just obviously O'Hare and Jindrak, just a great pairing in general. But please, if you're uh, looking to book Mark, he is still in great shape. He could still go. And maybe, just maybe, WB could be listening, and we may see you back in the big time. So, Mark, thank you so much uh, for coming. I appreciate all the time. Big fun, man. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.